0: Speak out on rule of law issues where necessary. And we will, of course, do our very best in discharging that role. You're listening to the news on RTHK. Live
1: across Hong Kong, this is Radio 3. Good morning, and welcome to the end of the week from me, Peter Lewis. It's 8.03 in Hong Kong on Friday, the 21st of January. This is Money Talk on Radio 3, where we have the latest business and finance news from the greater China region. The People's Bank of China has cut the one-year loan prime rate by 10 basis points, from 3.8% to 3.7%. It's the second reduction in a month. The five-year loan prime rate was reduced by five basis points, from 4.65% to 4.6% in its first cut since April 2020. China will extend its high-speed rail network by nearly 32% by 2025 to curb the economic slowdown. According to the new five-year transport plan issued by the State Council, the mainland will expand the length of the network to 50,000 kilometres by 2025, an increase of 12,000 kilometres from the end of 2020. The increase exceeds the combined length of high-speed rail networks in Spain, Japan, France, Germany and Finland last year. Inflation in Hong Kong hit a five-month high in December, driven up by rising costs of meals out, takeaway food and electricity charges. Consumer prices rose 2.4% year-on-year in December, up from the 1.8% increase recorded the previous month. Netting out the effects of one-off government relief measures, the underlying inflation rate was 1.4% in December, 0.2 percentage points higher than in November and at a 19-month high. The government said prices of utilities soared more than 54% from a year ago, while clothing and footwear jumped 8.7%. Transportation costs grew 4.1%, meals out and takeaway food were up 3.7%. And the International Monetary Fund has warned that the balance of risks facing Hong Kong's economy are tilted to the downside. The IMF forecasts that economic growth in the SAR will decline from 6.4% in 2021 to 3% in 2022. In its annual report, it said risks to the economy include ongoing uncertainty linked to the pandemic, which could impact the flow of people and further weigh on consumption, along with slower-than-expected global recovery and continued disruption of global supply chains. On today's Money Talk, we're joined by Kenny Wen of Everbright Sun Hung Kai and Andrew Ferris from UCAP Hong Kong Asset Management. With a view from India, it's Toby Lawson, CEO of Society General India.
0: Money Talk.
1: On Wall Street overnight, a late afternoon sell-off sent US stocks lower on the day. The S&P 500 bounced off its 100-day moving average and was up 1.5% earlier in the session before succumbing to selling pressure and closing 1.1% lower at 4483 The Nasdaq gave up gains of over 2% to close deeper in correction territory, down 1.3% on the day at 14,154. It's lost almost 13% since its November high. The Dow reversed an advance of over 460 points to close 313 points lower at 34,715. The index closed below its 200-day moving average for the first time since December. The reversal was sparked by Peloton, which slumped 24% on news it's temporarily halting production of its connected fitness products as consumer demand wanes. And after the closing bell, shares of Netflix tumbled over 20% after it revealed slowing subscriber growth. The streamer reported revenues of 7.71 billion US dollars in the final quarter of 2021, in line with expectations that it forecast 2.5 million new subscribers for this quarter. That's nearly 4 million below analysts' expectations of 6.26 million. The Nasdaq Golden Dragon Index of Chinese companies listed in the US added to 2.2% on Thursday after China cut its one- and five-year loan prime rates. The Pan-European stock 600 Index rose half a percent. The UK's FTSE 100 fell 0.1%. Hong Kong stocks jumped by the most in 18 months following the latest rate cut from the PBOC. The Hang Seng Index surged 825 points, or 3.4%, to close at a two-month high of 24,952. The Hang Seng Tech Index soared 4.5%. And on the mainland, the Shanghai Composite, that fell 0.1% to 3,555. A Reuters report that China has drafted rules to ease property developers' cash crunch, sent the share prices of mainland property developers listed in Hong Kong soaring yesterday. Reuters said the nationwide rules will make it easier for property developers to access funds from sales still held in escrow accounts. The Hang Seng Mainland Properties Index surged 4.6%. Sunak stormed over 15% higher, KWG Group rose over 13%, Shimeo rallied by 12%, and Logan Group jumped over 10%. In the commodities markets, Brent crude oil is a third of a percent lower this morning at $87.41 a barrel. Gold is trading at $1,838 an ounce. The US 10 year Treasury bond yield fell four basis points to 1.81%. And the US dollar is firmer this morning. The euro is at $1.13. The Japanese yen is trading at 104.1. Sterling is worth $1.36 and 10 Hong Kong dollars and 59 cents. The Chinese yuan is at 6.34 and a half versus the dollar in offshore markets. And Bitcoin is down over 1% at at $40,800. Russia's Russia's central bank is proposing a complete crackdown on cryptocurrencies, including banning all cryptocurrency issuance and operations, stopping banks from investing in cryptocurrencies, blocking exchanging crypto for traditional currency, and introducing legal liability for using crypto in purchases. Asia This Morning... US stock index futures are declining following the Netflix results, and that's dragging Asian equities lower. In Australia, the SS200 is down 1.2%. In Japan, the Nikkei 225 is off 1.9%. The Cosby in South Korea, down 0.8%. But it does look like a flat open for the Hang Seng this morning. Ten and a half. Let's go and welcome our guests. We have with us Andrew Ferris, Chief Strategist at UCAP
2: Hong Kong Asset Management. Morning, Andrew. Hey, good morning. Peter, you disappointed me. You started your announcement by saying welcome to the end of the week, and I thought you should say... When come to the end of the world, particularly, (laughs) particularly, you have to be a hamster in Hong Kong. Well, well, never mind. mind.
1: (laughs) I'm sure you're going to prove to us over the next (laughs) twenty minutes that the end of the world is (laughs) nigh. We also have with us Kenny Wen, who's wealth management strategist at Everbright Securities International. Morning, Kenny. Good morning. Well, let's start with some good news, shall we? Over in China, the People's Bank of China has cut the one year loan prime rate by 10 basis points from 3.8% to 3.7%. It's the second reduction in a month. That's after the PBOC cut the one year loan prime rate back in April uh, for the first time since April 2020 last month. The five year loan prime rate was reduced by five basis points from 4.65% to 4.6%, and that's the first cut since April 2020. Um, so, Kenny and Andrew, um, the People's Bank of
3: China has now cut all of its main interest policy rates. Is it going to help? Uh, actually, it's a with our expectation. If you refer to the uh, Central Economic Working Conference last month, uh, the character of stability appeared 25 times uh, in the summary logs. So you can see that this year the major economic growth will be stability. So that's why we... Uh, already expect uh, triple rate uh, triple outcuts and also ML uh, MLF and LPL. It is within our expectation and we expect more to go. For example, in the coming two to three months, we may see another round of uh, triple outcuts. I think it is uh, as the economic facing some pleasure that they will use more policy action to boost up the economy, including physical uh, uh, policy as, as well as the uh, monetary policy. Uh, for 2022, our GDP forecast within 5.9 one so uh, driven by the base effects, I think five around five percent still acceptable so they will try to uh, do more in terms of the policy action to prevent the, the negative impact from the property sector. So it's
1: the five percent that's better than the four percent that we've seen at the end of this year.
3: Yeah. And
1: are these rate cuts are, are they are they big enough though to really make a difference I mean we're talking
3: about 10 basis points here aren't we? I think uh, if they're talking about 10 basis points may not be so significant, but if you focus starting from the mid of December, we have uh, the, the triple out cuts and then uh, two times L P out cuts and also the MLF cuts. So they are trying to convince uh, the market they are uh, using uh, monetary policy to support the economy. Uh, however, if you refer to the economic data uh, announced that, uh, last week, you can see that the consumption is still uh, weaker than uh, expectation, so I think in the coming six months they will use more uh, physical policy to support the what we call fixed investment uh, the, uh, and also the consumption. So uh, I I I can't comment on whether it's enough or not, but at least they try to do so. And especially you compare with U.S., you can see that the monetary p- uh, policy is totally different, and it may have a uh, uh, impact on the stock market as well. We can talk about this uh, later.
2: Andrew, this is good news. Is it enough to cheer you up? Yeah, actually, no. It's it's not a matter of cheering up. As Kenny said, the 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 cuts are absolutely tiny. Mm. Now was going from uh, three seventy five to three eighty five. Uh, sorry, backwards. You know, ten basis points is hardly it's hardly going to make any difference. But it is the semiology, if I'm going to use a rather fancy word of what the PBOC is trying to say is that uh, we are loosening at the time that the Fed is expected to increase, not that they follow the Fed in any form, shape or size. And uh, the encouraging part is also, of course, two cuts in interest rates within one week. Uh, It's quite a a big sign. Mm -hmm. So the degree of urgency, it's much more in the value of the signal rather as opposed to the signal itself. You know, the fact that they are cutting interest rates uh, even by a very, very small percentage. And in any case, historically, it has always been very slow and very measured. You know, personally, I would have expected them to do something to really puzzle the markets. Instead of cutting it by either 10 or 5 basis points, start cutting it by strange, uneven numbers for people to think that there is something very strange going on. You know, we're going to cut it by 7.8 basis points. Huh? Why 7.8? Well, yeah. never <laughs> mind, you will see.
1: <laughs>
2: does, does it, um, can it, can the, the, this divergent
1: monetary policy with China and the U.S. now heading in completely opposite directions,
3: Directions, can it continue and does it matter? Uh, I think if we can't. Called- it will continue because you can refer to the uh, CPI data. Uh, in US, we're talking about 7%, which is uh, 40 years high. So uh, I think the uh, FOMC objective now changed from an, um, uh, change from employment to uh, inflation, especially we have the midterm election this year. So I think they will try to uh, control the CPI data, which they uh, the only way they can do is try to uh, increase interest rate. But on the other hand, uh, in China, you can see that the latest CPI is around 1.5 so it is compared with uh, 4% 5% GDP growth it is uh, quite good number so they they are not urgent to uh, tighten the the, the, uh, monetary policy on the other hand compared with last year the GDP growth is 8% and uh, this year we expect it's 5.1 so on the other hand they need to boost up the economy especially uh, now the property sector may jack down the overall economy so uh, Mm -hmm. because they are facing different uh, economic scenarios. That's why their policy will be different.
2: Actually, P- Peter, the question is, is absolutely correct in saying, well, does this make any difference with the Americans' increase in interest rates? The answer in the case of Asia must be a huge resounding Asia, not just China. No, you no, know, because except for the case of Hong Kong, possibly the case of Singapore, Asians don't have foreign exchange rate policies foreign exchange rate is primarily determined by the market helped a little bit by the central banks and if in fact you don't have a forex policy you can do whatever you want with your interest rate so if the Mm. Americans increase or decrease as long as your forex presumably reflects what the markets are doing your interest rate policy is going to be necessarily either completely different or completely irrelevant to what the Americans are doing in the case of the Chinese you have two things you have a renminbi which moves very slowly. It has been generally appreciating for the last three or four years. I don't think they have any real intent of doing something really dramatic. And secondly, there are capital controls. Mm-hmm. So they can you know, completely relax what the Fed is doing. But what,
1: why does China keep talking about it then? The PBOC has mentioned it several times now that uh, you know this could be a major policy risk. Uh, even President Xi Jinping has mentioned it
2: as well. Why, why do they keep talking yeah, about I sus- it? I suspect it is a matter of uh, uh, smirking behind their clenched fist by saying, well, they're increasing, we're cutting. Nya, 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 nya. <laughs> <I> mean, <laughs> not quite like that, OK? <laughs> but uh, they point out that there are potential risks. And incidentally, the Chinese also point out, if they want to do that and why on earth they should do this, okay, that the Japanese are doing precisely nothing on their interest rates. And Lagarde he pressed again this week about increases in European interest rates. He says no, you know, watch my lips, we are not doing anything mm-hmm. to interest rates for the year thirty three. So the G three are moving in completely different directions. <laughs>
1: now Kenny markets on the mainland said meh to this didn't care (laughs) but over here in Hong Kong they loved it
2: yeah
3: they love it because uh, uh, first of all we are positive on Hong Kong equity this year our target will uh, for Hang Seng index is uh, 27,500 but funny speaking uh, the rally for the past one week especially yesterday it's little bit surprised us Uh, so I think uh, one the key issue is because Hang Seng Index is lagging behind and enjoying a relatively low valuation. So uh, at the beginning of each year, usually some institutional investor they will be rebalancing their portfolio. They will sell those high uh, high related stocks or markets and buy in. For example, like Hong Kong, which is uh, for mid to long term have a rebound opportunities. And we just mentioned about the totally difference. Uh, moderate policy so i think this is one of the catalysts to drive the hong kong market uh, for the past one to two weeks andrew are you positive on hong kong shares after a terrible year last year
2: uh i'm not as uh, as as positive as my friend here is for the very <laughs> for the very simple reason is that uh, american interest rates are going to increase uh the property sector in hong kong is beginning to wobble a little bit not a great deal and the huge negative is of course we're going to get stuck with the zero policy for a lot more weeks. And uh, this has been tended to be completely ignored somehow that uh, it is really having quite a severe impact. Uh, I don't know if anything is left of the tourist trade given that 70% of all our tourism used to be China related and this has come down completely to zero. So uh, it's, it's not clear to me at all why I should be bullish about Hong Kong On the macro side, having said that, however, we know that markets can tend to move in completely different directions where the macro is going. Mm. Uh, So, uh, you know, okay, let's put it like that. I'm, I'm quite bearish on the macro side, and therefore I tend to scrunch my face if asked about equities. Uh, And also,
1: we have another issue here. Inflation is moving up, not as fast as it is elsewhere in the world. But nevertheless, it's up 2.4% year on year in December, up from 1.8% the previous month. I suppose the real issue, though, is not what happened in December. It's going forward, isn't it? Because we have all these restrictions now on flights in and out of uh, Hong Kong. It's potentially, some analysts say, leading to a shortage of food and and other goods driving up uh, prices further. Is this going to be an issue going forward?
3: Uh, personally, I think uh, it will affect our daily life, uh, even though uh, it will not affect my personal life because my wife will take care of my daily <laughs> life and I sell them to go to the supermarket to buy food. But anyway, uh, our daily life will be affected and if the inflation to go up, actually it will, it will uh, de- in, uh, decrease our uh, uh, consumption uh, ability. So uh, this is one of the key issues for Hong Kong people which need to think about it. But I think the Hong Kong economic macro situation will not impact the Hang Seng Index too much. So I think it's the daily life versus the, the uh, asset market will be a uh, different, uh,
2: different uh, uh, issue.
1: Mm. Good to know that
2: you're a man of the people, Kenny, and yeah. never go out to <laughs> buy food. A little, a little bit of a, of a philosophical uh, interjection here. You know, the the culture and the country that gave us Sun Tzu the art of war of which a copy is always underneath my pillow okay it is amazing how prescient and how simply wonderful the thing is it says don't mix strategy with tactics and Mm -hmm. here we are we are continuously talking about tactics forgetting that the tactic is what is going to get you to your strategic point. So now we are we are arguing about the culling of hamsters or whether it is five weeks or three weeks or one week for Cathay Pacific pilots. And all this is done completely in vacuum versus the notion that we have to get zero COVID infections. And nobody's discussing how this is going to get you there. I have my grave doubts about that. It's very easy to be an armchair strategist, but I'm afraid I get, I get quite scared when we seem to be losing completely the plot because Hong Kong and China are now unique in the world. You know, I, I'm not going to say that what happened in UK yesterday. Remember yesterday, Bozo, the Prime Minister Johnson, okay, lifted every single restriction there is. You can go in and out, you don't need to wear masks, you are not checked coming into the airport, you are not checked going out of the airport, come and get it. Okay, and of course what you're getting is, is wide infections, And they pretending or they are actually telling us that this is potentially a longer term better strategy overall than having the kind of restriction that just doesn't work clearly. Mm. I mean, are we possibly going to get zero infections in China and in Hong Kong for two weeks, and then we lift the restrictions and suddenly we're getting infections again? You know, it's... it's but is it, is it possible, though, to do what the UK
1: has done? Because if we lift all restrictions here yeah. and let COVID rip in a closed environment like Hong Kong, it could be far more devastating than maybe in the UK,
2: particularly our low because va- of our low vaccination rates. You know, we're all uh, armchair epidemiologists, and I definitely we don't want to be to be pretending like that. But of course, we go from one extreme to the other. We go from literally a, a kind of an, in inverted commas, I'm being jokey here, a kind of a luxury prison. Okay, to come and get it in the UK and there is nothing sort of in between. Mm. And I'm not the kind of Guaylo that complained that, you know, ah, you know, I cannot fly to the States or to UK, how horrible life is. Right? It's completely almost irrelevant because I cannot forget that the majority of the people affected by the restrictions in flight and the quarantine is all, all these poor people that go business, friends and relatives across the border. It's the Chinese that are suffering, not the Guaylo. Kenny, okay, final word to you. Tell me about Macau casino stocks. Have they bottomed now? Uh, I don't
3: know because even though the policy uncertainty is being reduced, but now given the pandemic issue, we still don't we, we still don't see the, the gambling revenue have a significantly increase. So uh, I will be neutral on the sector, and I think if you want to buy the gambling sector, maybe second half will be uh, a, a better opportunity. Okay. Well, have a great weekend. That's Kenny Wen,
1: Wealth Management Strategist at Everbright Securities International. Andrew Ferris, who's Chief Strategist at UCAP Hong Kong Asset Management.
2: You're listening to Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. RTHK Radio 3.
0: It's
1: 825 over in Mumbai, India. We should find Toby Lawson, CEO of Society General India. Morning, Toby. Yeah, good morning, Peter. So tell me a little bit about how Indian markets are, are reacting to, to rising bond yields um, elsewhere in the world and also this sell-off that we're starting to see now in, in US equities. Are they holding up?
4: Yeah. yeah, pretty much a similar picture. You would see a very volatile start to the year. Um, the major in, indexes on the equity side, Sensex and Nifty, both coming off uh, consistently in line with what we're seeing in the United States. Uh, Bond yields creeping up to two-year highs around 6.65%. So, look, the picture is very similar uh, and the dynamics are are probably fairly um, consistent with what uh, uh, we're seeing across the globe. There are some clear Indian specificities around inflation and around growth forecasts, but overall the market sentiment is very similar.
1: And also, as well as equities, I was reminded the other day that India has a very large bond market as well, doesn't it, which is starting to open up more, and and, uh, some of these uh, bonds are going to be added now to to global indices. Presumably, there's some good opportunities there as well.
4: Yeah, well, that's one factor that's probably going to uh, intimate towards a slightly better picture for for bond yields because of the amount of demand that will come in, Uh, and also, of course, on the currency um, where you would expect a depreciating currency uh, as US dollar rallies in the in light of higher interest rates may just temper some of that depreciation of the INR, um, mm-hmm. allow the RBI to throttle a little bit more. But what we're already seeing this month is you know uh, the corporate issuance, the corporate bond issuance is probably being delayed a little bit, and the premium that has to be paid to issue in the corporate market is is certainly at uh, at highs we haven't seen for a while. So look, uh, there will be. Pretty much a good underlying demand, particularly on the global bond index uh, inclusion, Um, but some stress, short-term stress around the level of um, of premium having to pay uh, in the corporate bond market.
1: It seems to me, if you look at the fundamentals of India, um, according to the IMF, it's going to be the fastest growing economy in the world this year. You've got these very large markets which are still... very much underinvested in um, by foreigners it seems is, is india the place maybe to look this year given that you know china's difficult because of all the policy changes and the slowdown we're seeing a correction elsewhere in the world could this be the year for india
4: well so the year i think it's probably a decade uh, for india uh, in a relative sense uh, if you can look at the sort of uh, a growth rate trajectory over the next five to ten years. You're looking in, in, in the sort of plus eight to nine percent required, you know, is potentially there. The difficulty with India relative to, say, a China story is, of course, it's a democracy, it's much more complex, and, um, you know, the economy is, is only still starting to build a broad base of strength. And notably, of course, in the next coming months, we've got some big state elections, some five state elections, where you know the incumbent uh, BJP, which is the ruling central government party, is you know uh, being put to the test. So mm. politics plays a, a much more significant role, I think, in in the in the underlying fundamentals of the Indian economy. But I would agree that uh, for investors out there, India represents a long term. Uh, and very much a strategic investment uh, that should continue to, to see a lot more flow coming in.
1: But, but presumably one thing that the government needs to do to make it more attractive is cut capital gains tax for foreigners, because that's quite high, isn't it?
4: Well, the ease of, business, ease of doing business index is, is steadily improving in India. Uh, there's a long way to go, and it's still um, uh, indefinite in relative terms to developed markets um, behind. But there is a lot of push by the government. There's been a lot of reform in line with that to ensure that um, there is stability here for foreign investors who are coming in. Yes, you're right on taxes, uh, like uh, anywhere in the world there needs to be competitiveness and, and I suspect the Indian government are fully aware of that. They need a lot of investment uh, on the capital side at the moment. The economy has been driven a lot by government in, in infrastructure investment. Um, the economy's corporate uh, uh, demand is still sort of waning relative to pre-COVID levels. So. The government is aware they need to get uh, more foreign investment in, hence they need to create the incentives. And they do that through some of the priority lending schemes uh, where there are some tax breaks. But generally speaking, the comment you make about capital gains tax and taxes in general probably need to be considered over the, uh, the coming years.
1: Now next week's going to be a crucial week for investors. We've got the Fed meeting and, and all the indicators seem to point to them, uh, indicating that they're going to be more aggressive on, um, on tightening. And we've had this sell off now in the US, the Nasdaq uh, well into correction territory, the S&P 500 down off 7% from its highs. What, what do you make of what's going on there?
4: Yeah, well, I think it's it's not surprising. You know, you had a very uh, fairly aggressive jump in yields from sort of one and a half in the ten-year to one point eight eight, which is uh, heading up towards their two-year highs. It's come off a little bit, but that's triggered the move in the equity markets. Um, Even despite that, you know, our earnings figures uh, overall in the U.S. on the Q4 have been pretty good. Um, The forward guidance is a little less optimistic, and you know, you've seen some significant. uh, stocks, you know, take a hit. I think even Netflix is later this morning, you know, uh, dropping a, a large move down in the in the aftermarket because of um, lower subscriber growth. So I suspect the outlook for equities, at least in the short term, is very volatile. Uh, and when we talk about these type of transition moves where we see yields starting to rise, it's really about the velocity that frightens the market. So what the Fed will be looking to do is to try to you know, get a measured approach, try to get the investors to see that uh, this move in interest rates coming up this year is consistent with a stronger economy, not just purely about inflation.
1: OK, Toby, thanks very much. Have a great weekend. That's Toby Lawson, the CEO of Society Generale India. You're listening to Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. In Asia this morning, NASDAQ futures are down about three quarters of a percent following those Netflix results, and that's dragging Asian stocks even lower. In Australia, the SX200 is off one and a third percent. The Nikkei 225 in Japan is now down over two percent. The Cosby in South Korea is off 0.6 percent. Looks like Hong Kong stocks may outperform, futures markets indicating a decline of about 30 or 40 points at the open for the Hang Seng Index. In the commodities markets, uh, Brent crude oil pretty well unchanged at $87.41 a barrel. Uh, Gold also unchanged at $1,839 an ounce. Thank you very much for listening this week. Do have a great weekend. Join me again, please, on Monday morning. But in the meantime, stay tuned to Radio 3 for Back Chats with Janice Wong and Andrew Work coming up after the news. The weather forecast, sunny intervals, cool in the morning. Maximum temperature is going to be around 20 degrees during the day and the outlook is for a few rain patches tomorrow and mild and humid with relatively low visibility on Sunday and Monday. Uh, The temperature right now, 17 degrees, 82% relative humidity. 8.33.
0: 8.33. Here's Andrew Shorosky with the Half Hour News. A prominent medical expert is urging the elderly to get vaccinated against COVID-19 as soon as possible, saying there appears to be a number of undetected infections across Hong Kong. Professor Benjamin Cowling from the University of Hong Kong's public sc- School of Public Health says measures used in the previous waves of infections, such as working from home and school closures, may not be enough now, as the Omicron variant is much more transmissible than previous variants
1: that were used in the third wave and the fourth wave, meaning school closures, work at home, um, stopping larger groups of people gathering and so on. Those measures in the third and fourth wave were just about enough to control that virus. Omicron that we face now is much more transmissible and I'm not sure that those measures used before would be sufficient to control Omicron in the
0: community now. He said the focus should be on elderly vaccinations rather than allowing children as young as five to get inoculated. Professor Cowling also said an order to cull hamsters and small animals that arrived in the SAR in late December came too late, as any transmission from animal to human would have already occurred. Residents at Yat Kwai House on Kwai Chung Estate must now test for COVID every night until and including Sunday if they wish to leave the building the following morning. The announcement follows a major coronavirus outbreak in the public housing block involving 15 residents and a security guard. Violet Wong reports. The cases live in twelve apartments spread over eleven floors. Dr. Albert L from the Center for Health Protection said initial investigations had shown that a man carrying the BA two strain of Omicron and who is part of the Silka Hotel cluster had visited the building's refuse collection room on january thirteenth. He had then taken away some items and sold them in Sham Shui Po near the Payhole Street Market.